0: You're listening to The SubClub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores.
1: Let's get into the show.
0: Welcome to The SubClub Podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard. And with me today, Jacob Eiding, co-host until his CEO roles pull him away and I I will never, this will be an appointment that never comes off my calendar, David.
2: (laughs) Excellent. We'll always be here.
0: And with us today are Maj Tabby and Jasper Hauser, co-founders of the Apple Design Award-winning app Darkroom. Prior to founding Darkroom, Maj spent time at Apple, Facebook, and Instagram, working as a product-focused engineer. Alongside Darkroom, Maj has also published a photo book documenting the Syrian refugee crisis. Jasper is a three-time Apple Design Award winner <laughs> with 18 years of experience in creating digital products and mentoring people. Prior to founding Darkroom with Matched, Jasper Schmidt founded Sofa, which was acquired by Facebook in 2011. That's quite a bias. Welcome, guys.
1: You did a great <laughs> job with my name. Good job. Call I'm that <laughs> uh,
2: I just want to say it's like uh, I finally like... Spending some time with folks who achieved something like with the <laughs> Apple Design Awards. Like, do, 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 so what, Jasper? I didn't know. I one, I didn't know you could be a multi-time winner. Two, do they do they interface together? Does like is there like some sort of like try uh, Triforce type uh, interaction between <laughs> the boards? Or
3: honestly, I have no idea because like I don't actually have them. Majd has the dark room one, oh, and all okay. the other ones. Are, I don't so. I have, I've won three, but I have none. It's oh. basically the sad,
1: the sad story. Wow. Okay, sorry, sorry to hit on a nerve. <laughs> next, time, next time I come to Amsterdam, I'll bring it to you. it be like, well, like,
0: there's yeah. this
2: family cup. Like, You just give it to a different person. Be careful putting them all in the same room because I don't know what yeah. all <laughs> really,
0: Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, at this point in the podcast, I usually ask for a little bit of background, but we don't normally have two co-founders on. So I, I didn't want to squander the opportunity to like really get into the woods of, of what it was like to, to co-found in kind of the early days. Um, so I did want to mention, and we'll we'll link to this in the in the show notes, for, for those who want to take a deeper dive, uh, MASH did a, an amazing episode uh, of the Launched podcast, and he actually went deep into the Syrian refugee crisis. Uh, MASH actually grew up in Syria, um, and it was just a phenomenal podcast. So huge plug to go listen to that and check out the book and everything else. Um, and he gives a lot more background on on his time at Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Fascinating podcast that I don't want to rehash. Go listen to that podcast. So don't, <laughs> don't worry.
2: <laughs> we are it. Thank you. Good night.
0: And then, <laughs> and then similarly, Jasper was actually on uh, design details. And he also went in a, in a much more deep dive on winning the design awards and all that sort of thing. So go listen to those podcasts for the kind of background. And let's get into founding dark room tell us <laughs> and then we got both of you so like you, you gotta you gotta fact check each other and like oh, give no. us the
2: real <laughs> i can't imagine if, when when somebody puts miguel and i in the same room and tells us to like tell this has us tell we just kind of have a tacit like agreement that i'll tell the story and then he'll just like <laughs> and agree uh,
1: well in, in, our, in our case in our case there's a uh there's a um, there's the benefit that I started working on Darkroom for a while before Jasper joined. Uh, Jasper has been involved from the prototype stages in the early days, but there was a period of time where um, I was working on it with a previous co-founder called Matt Brown, who ended up leaving, and then I was working on it solo for a while before Jasper joined. So there's a there's a natural like genesis to, to Darkroom before me and Jasper started working on it together. Uh, as you mentioned, David, my uh, last... Paying job with a salary was at Instagram, <laughs> where I was uh, I was fairly exposed to the mobile photography world, and this was in 2013, 2014. So it was it was pretty early in Instagram's life, and mobile photography was still on the in the iPhone 5, iPhone 5s uh, stage of its life, where things were starting to really pick up, and like the pace of advancement in mobile uh, cameras was picking up pace much faster than any other camera uh, system uh, around and documentary and lifestyle photography was starting to supplant many of the other kinds of uh, forms of self-expression, visual self-expression. And so mobile photography was becoming more and more and more and more of a thing. And that's when I was at Instagram. And so uh, once I ended up leaving, and again, (laughs) go listen to the other podcast for why I left (laughs) and what I was doing there. But once, once I left and uh, was looking for something to do, everything I had kind of seen in the mobile photography world was Marinating in my head still from my time at Instagram. And I found myself on, in a, on a hike in Norway, which is where the name of the company Bergen comes from. And uh, we were hiking in these beautiful fjords. And every day I would go on a hike and take 150 photos. And uh, the tools to tell a compelling story out of those 150 photos were practically non existent. And at the time, the way mobile photographers who took mobile photography seriously adopted a workflow, what their workflow looked like. Involved multiple apps, multiple steps, import into this app, do this one thing, export, import to this other app, do this one thing, export. And by the time your, your photo gets to Instagram, it's like been deep fried, you know, like it's been yeah. compressed like 17 times and it's been like filtered by five different apps. And like every person has a different workflow. And so like nothing mapped into another. And because each tool required import and export, like it was horribly inefficient. And none of this even gets to the root problem of I have 150 photos like to go through. <laughs> How am I even going to find which ones to edit? And so Darkroom kind of fit into that hole in the workflow. Darkroom, what differentiates it from other apps is uh, from day one, from its genesis, is let's take a holistic view of your photo library and treat it not just as a single image editor, but treat it as a photo library manager and a photo library editor. And so that's where things like batch processing and Darkroom come into play. That's where things like uh, no imports uh, flows come into play. Um, and so that, that was the original idea. It took me three years of work <laughs> like get to an iPhone version <laughs> of the app that actually addresses <laughs> that vision. But that's that was like the, the genesis of Darkroom and where it came from. And yeah, it, it took me a few weeks to put together a prototype. At the time, iOS 8 was in beta and iOS 8 was the first version of iOS that introduced the photo kit, which gave you access to the photo library, gave you like nice. basically that was the framework that made Darkroom possible. And so... You know, I within within a few weeks actually, I, I had a version of Darkroom that mirrored very closely what exists today on the iPhone finished. And you know, after my trip to Norway, I went down to Amsterdam, and that's where I met Jasper. Well, I met him. We worked very closely together at Facebook, uh, but I met up with Jasper because he was in Amsterdam at the same time. Uh, we you know we talked about it. We talked about like mobile photography. He gave me a bunch of feedback on the prototype, and we went our separate ways. Like I mentioned, I ended up partnering with the, uh, another person, Matt Brown, who who was who's also a designer. And we it took us six months after that first six month prototype to productize Darkroom and eventually launch it. And when we launched, Apple featured like the crap out of us, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we were you know this was at the time before iOS. I think it was 10 or 11 when they redesigned the app store. And so getting a feature by Apple meant you were at the top of the feature tab for a full week because it only changed every Thursday. You were
0: made. Those were great times. The whole world would like
3: have no way around you. You
2: were were crammed down people's throats. I forgot about that. Yeah. Gosh. And the stress as somebody building a mobile app, the stress of the Thursday after your launch. Right. Being like, are we the ones? Are we the ones? I'm still mad at Batman because uh, (laughs) Batman edged out Mino Monsters for like our our launch feature that week. I'll never forget. (laughs) I'll never forget waking up and refreshing the page and being disappointed.
1: (laughs) It was I mean, it was wild for us because we had like the top feature. It was the first banner ad on the featured page. And then in so that we launched in February and then in March, we were in best of February. And then at the end of 2015, we launched February 2015. And at the end of 2015, we were in best of the app store for 2015. And so oh. we've been like, us and Apple have been joined at the hip from like our founding day.
2: <laughs> did you did you do anything to like uh, set that up to get that initial? I mean, it's ancient history now. The, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's It's no. so...
1: We did do a lot, to, and and by the way, I apologize, Jasper. I haven't gone to the part of the story where you joined. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: Jasper. We'll but,
1: get there. <laughs> but but what, it goes. But but what's, what was interesting? Just uh, Jacob. Before I address your question, Jasper was already advising uh, at this point, just giving us a lot of feedback on everything.
3: I was there when when Majd and and Matt worked. Like I joined every other week or so for I think either a Wednesday or or like a Saturday. I had also just become a dad, so it wasn't that easy. uh, Besides the job and my um, my new family to to join them, but I mean, dark room was like Maj and I are like best friends and. As soon as we met at Facebook, we have been working closely together on all the teams that I went to, uh, apart from him going to Instagram. Well, then obviously he was lost or lost. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> 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 um, but like ever since we've worked together. Um, and so, yeah, I was connected pretty, pretty strongly. Also because for me, like apart from as like my background is in graphic design, ended up in in interaction design. Uh, but I've had a very strong tie to photography. I studied photography for a while. I wanted to be a photographer for a while. So the connection was there on the topic. And and so always for me, it was like this very interesting pairing of like taking my professional job and my hobby of photography and being able to merge them together was like, I mean, how the hell am I not? So like, how can <laughs> yeah. I not do that? It's it's,
2: right? the, it's <laughs> the Mac nerd's dream, right? Like right. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. No, it completely
3: was. <laughs> I remember the first sketch I ever did of an app I wanted to design back in like 2003 or something was literally like an app to edit photos. I, um,
2: <laughs> I remember when I was like an iOS dev early on, like buying a DSLR. Cause I thought that's what you do. You listen to Mac break weekly, you buy a DSLR, you, yeah. you read, you read Aaron totally. Hillis' book. Those are the things you do. And then I learned like, I just, when the iPhone that came with a decent camera came out and realized the only thing I take picture of is just like random crap. And like, I'm not really into yeah. photography. That was also a great yeah. moment for my life. Cause I could just be like, Oh, I don't have to worry about like Save a lot of money. Anymore. <laughs> no,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, but to answer to answer your question, uh, Jacob, yeah. So this is th- this is where the, convers- the the story gets a little bit uncomfortable because of like we were in a really privileged position uh, at that time. We, I had met a lot of uh, people who were influential in the tech industries through my time at like Facebook and Instagram, and so when I was working at Darkroom we were sharing space at this company called The Factory, which no longer exists, but like Wilson Miner was there and like Malta was there, like people who had founded RDO before. And so we were were kind of just like bumming desks over there and they liked what we were doing at Darkroom and they had a consultant on their payroll who acted as a liaison between interesting developers and the App Store uh, editorial team. And so they connected us. And so this consultant helped guide us through the process of, Getting in meeting, setting up a meeting with Apple with the right people, uh, coaching us through putting together a presentation, documenting what we're doing, how it works, showing them a demo and everything. And uh, the other piece of like privilege that I had was that I worked at Apple as well. So I knew how the culture at Apple operated internally. And so everything that I did that like interfaced with Apple was pristine. Everything was designed. The email was designed. The presentation was gorgeous. Like the demo, like, I sat down and I put the right like photos and the right album and like I wiped down the t- the the fingerprint smudges from the screen set, of the phone. 9 42
2: AM on every screen. <laughs>
1: exactly. All that stuff, right? And so I knew that like when I went to Apple, they're gonna see something that fit the Apple brand, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that's been a consistent theme throughout like Darkham's six-year journey. But back then, It worked really well for them to say, oh, there's like a high touch application coming onto the app store. They're doing interesting things. They're taking advantage of all the new APIs coming out in iOS 8. It made sense for them to feature us in hindsight. But, you know, I mean, I was super nervous, but I remember driving back uh, to San Francisco from Cupertino after that first meeting and just feeling like I was on cloud nine. And because the meeting (laughs) went really well, like they really connected with the value proposition that we had. uh, And that... In large part is what got our foot on the door and got us that first big promotion, uh, and then got the ball rolling. And then the ball uh, proceeded to just fall into a ditch, <laughs> following following yeah. our launch. It was like eh.
0: <laughs> so. So tell us what happened there. So you launched as a free app, right? With a with a single lifetime in app purchase. It, that was the original model. We had a whole strategy. It was we we're so
1: proud of the strategy. We we're so you proud always of the do. It's well, like. Uh, like <laughs> So we had, it was a free app. Well, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you just the the high level strategy. And then I'll tell you how we applied that strategy in our launch. Our strategy had always been, we want to get millions of people using Darkroom for free to create our own user base that we can build more premium features over time and upsell them on it. And we had two uh, content types that we wanted to sell people on. One was filters, filter packs. This was in the days of it was basically Visco and Snapseed and nothing else. Uh, Twenty fifteen, and so we wanted to recreate the Visco uh, business model of selling filter packs, and the other one was selling premium tools, the Snapseed model. Um, and so we wanted to do that, and so that was that was what we went in, and that's actually in large part our strategy today: create as many people using Darkroom for free. Provide like a ton of value so that they get bought in into our way of thinking about mobile photography, and then continue adding value add into our premium tier so that people uh, will switch. Uh, the problem was uh, we were selling filter packs. Uh, we, we were selling four filter packs at launch and two tools, and we were selling everything independently. And so we had this kind of like shopping cart model where you would like go in. There was a store, and you can like choose what you want to buy from the store and. You would go into this tool, and you would see this uh, like pop up that told you, "Here's a paywall. Like yeah. you can
2: it's buy, this buy this for a okay. dollar, buy this for a dollar,
1: buy this for a dollar, buy this for four dollars." And so our average sale price was like a dollar. You know, <laughs> we were we were asking for very. By by the way, this was February 2015. There were not a lot of subscriptions on the App Store. Our most expensive thing was a tool was for $5. And $5 was expensive in 2015. People really thought about that.
2: It was still like ambiguous whether Apple was going to bless it for general use cases, especially like utilities. I remember I remember for Elevate, it, we launched descriptions end of 2014. And it was like, eh, like, sure, your content app, sure. But I, I'm not even sure for your use case, you guys could have got away with it.
3: Yeah. And for our category, like, you know, the photography category itself hadn't really like you know establishes itself as being like a worthy business model i mean the one the, the couple of successes were definitely visco and others but like we have to remember, like Room wasn't fully there yet on mobile. Um, then Snapseed were bought by Google, so that was free. So most of it, like it was like a weird space to be in, where you didn't have a lot of re- reference. Where it's like, oh, they clearly made it. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. that's a very different game. Now you can sort of look around. But back then it was like literally like a hill Mary. We think this makes sense. Let's give it. a And control. there was no yeah.
1: data. There was no insight into what works, what doesn't work, what's what are what are good numbers and what's not. And so there were there were two problems in the, in our initial launch. The first was that our prices were too low, we offered too much, it was the cognitive load was high. You didn't actually know <laughs> that there were things to buy in the app so we were very not pushy about it and so people would just get confused about what's free and what's not free. The biggest problem, a, a bigger problem was we didn't re- uh, I didn't realize how much filters and filter packs were a brand lifestyle marketing product more so an aspirational product, more so than a functional product. And so I was treating filters as like, oh, they make your photo look good. But like, that's not at all what filters and photos are about. Hmm. They're about making my photos look like these famous people I follow on on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so like, you needed to get those influencers on Instagram talking about the M5 filter in Visco, getting everyone excited about it, them going to adopt it. And I was taking a very functional approach, uh, a functional mentality to it when it was an aspirational mentality that I needed to take in. And I didn't really appreciate that I needed to spend years and lots of dollars investing in creating this high touch brand and marketing and hire these influencers to create content for me and like invest in the brand over time. Our approach to mobile photography has been very functional in nature. And in the first few years of dark room we've taken, that wasn't clear to us. And so we were trying things and they weren't working. And I think we're, uh, we're more mature about all of those things now, but that was the problem. (laughs) Well,
0: one thing that's really interesting there and I wanted to to touch on is that um, Maybe a third problem too is, and, and I, I've been hearing this more and more from, from developers who, who have a, a very multi-pronged strategy with like a lot of advertising and organics and everything, is that from what I've heard from a lot of different developers and seen in my own apps, is that when Apple features your app, it's great and you get a lot of downloads, but those are often very low intent users. So, yep. like, ha- have, you, have you seen that kind of play out? Because, like, somebody who's, like, searching the app store, like, I need a new photo app, has just a really different, like, perspective than it's like, oh, yeah. Apple's featuring Darkroom. Maybe it's cool. Maybe I'll check it out. Maybe whatever. Versus somebody who's, like, searching, like, you know, raw, you know, photo editor and, like, you know, searching kind of those more tools. And one of the frustrating things is, like, we still don't have any way to understand that through app store analytics. Like you get a broad, yeah. you know, for, for those of you who don't look at this day in day out, like some of us do, it's like you go into app store analytics and you can see a percentage of your users who come from browse and a percentage who come from search. And you don't know if they're searching That's
2: like,
0: like yeah. raw this or, or like photo editing
3: that. Or even
2: what browse means, right? Cause browse can be an editorial yeah. or it could be a we, category. We have no idea. Yeah. yeah.
3: No, it's totally fair. I mean, totally to your point, like, um, there's no attribution of where the traffic came from, like outside of the app store, but then it's literally browser search, which is like, we don't know if it was an editorial or Today's Story or a tile or a carousel, like no idea. And like, like for a while, I manually tried to track it so as to have an understanding of like, why the hell do we see this peak today? What happened? Oh, oh, there was a, like a feature in Canada. Okay, great. Um, mm. but, but it's totally fair to say that like conversion generally tends to be like, poorer when there is a feature of that kind we see it we kind of see a conversion dip a little bit so conversion being like download to purchase Mm -hmm. Uh, so you yeah you get a you get a peak in downloads great but then like for us it's like yeah downloads aren't really the currency we care about it's really like does it convert into a purchase or a subscription these days Um, and definitely see a bump there and then the opposite is true too it's like when like somebody creates an awesome YouTube video or like, you know, like an influencer type photographer posts something on on Instagram, we'll see the in, in like the opposite. Like like almost every download oh, converts to a intent. purchase. Yeah. You know, like Apple featuring you in and of itself might not be always the most valuable, uh, just from a conversion perspective. But when you think about it from a like legitimizing you as a company or product mm-hmm. perspective, it is extremely yeah. useful, right? Yeah. It's like if Apple year over year keeps featuring you, and you're in the Editor's Pick, and you're in the Top App Store of the year, and now you have an ADA, you know, press, bloggers, photographers, they can't really like ignore you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what did that What did that post period look like? Right. So we, I've I've been through this cycle myself, but you have this pop, you have this like press land, and then when those admittedly probably lower intent. Downloads kind of kind of fade away, you're left with like the organics. And and where did that leave you? So you had this like maybe too complicated business model, maybe you had some like missed strategies on on that stuff. But then you know, it's 2017 or wherever, wherever you are post like all this pop. Like what 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 did it look like on the other side for you guys? Yeah. And did did you see like the
0: early product market fit from the free users, even if the like upgrades weren't?
1: Uh, to give you some like uh, more quantitative measures of what that looked like for us, I mean, we crossed a million downloads really quickly. Like it was, we were, I mean, we were everywhere. We jumped a million. I think we made like sixty thousand dollars from that launch, and then it dipped down to, I mean, we're talking like nothing. Like just, yeah. I mean, it, like hundred day or something it was nothing yeah um, we, we made <laughs> like, we, we made another we made another 60,000 I think in like in the 12 months post launch so like literally nothing I mean it's not nothing if it's a side <laughs> project and you're like, augmenting your income but right, I was not making money <laughs> I,
2: I I was living in San Francisco for something, 000, for something even the v1 of darkroom right like that's not great right like something that quality and invested in it and Apple has said like this is valuable and you should download it right uh to to get that kind of return yeah we were two people
1: working on it not making a salary so we needed to see at least double that j- for like one of us to be able to survive in san francisco
2: <laughs> to be <laughs> able to convince your partners right yeah <laughs> like, yeah, to keep going.
1: yeah. And so that so that was one of the problems we dealt with but then um honestly what happened is the numbers were so low i stopped working on darkroom i just literally gave up on it um for all of 2016 for that 12 months i touched no code and that's when I went to Europe. I documented the Syrian refugee crisis. I spent that time working on that book, writing that book, editing it, revising it. Um, and Jasper was actually helping me with that because Jasper is like a cat with nine lives. <laughs> and <laughs> that's not the right expression because it's like, no, anyway. not the right but, one. <laughs> but, but like he, he also worked in print and like in, in typesetting before. So he was giving me a lot of feedback on the production of the book. But again, listen to the launch podcast <laughs> to, to get the story on that. But um, what ended up happening was I needed to find a job because at this point, it had been like two years of me not earning a living. And Jasper had finally quit uh, his job at Facebook. And we, were, we had mentioned throughout the past previous couple of years at that point, wanting to work with each other. And so me and Jasper were just like meeting up, like sharing a glass of wine at a bar in San Francisco and just talking about what we wanted to do. And Jasper was like, well, I still use Darkroom. And like a lot of my friends still use Darkroom. So David, to answer your question around product market fit. Like everyone who used Darkroom from day one that I knew in my circle continued using it long yeah. after I stopped working on it.
2: The promise was there. I had the same experience. Like I remember anybody who was like semi-serious about taking photos around that same era being like, oh yeah, just Darkroom, right? Like everybody was. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I appreciated that. I think if I like, really under- I think I was just depressed a little bit at that point. Well, it's hard when you're not making money, right? <laughs> like it's hard to appreciate it until people are handing over cold earned dollars. And the, the thing is, there was
1: like, there was one fundamental truth for me, which is all the motivations for wanting to start working on Darkroom in 2014 were true. When me and Jasper were having this conversation in 2016, nothing changed. And I could not live with not giving it a serious next try, because what ended up happening was I pulled up App Store Connect and we were still making like $70,000 a year after not touching the app for like at all. And so I was like, okay... Jasper, Jasper's point was like, okay, you're making, if an app didn't make sense and didn't need to exist, it wouldn't make $70,000 a year on inertia. (laughs) Like it would die off. And so, and we, I think at that point, Jasper, we had like 250,000 MAUs. Like we had some
2: multi-hundred thousand MAUs. No, no, no,
3: no. It was... It was like 450,000 or something like. It was like like it was it was quite substantial.
2: That's great for not having growth team push notifications. Nothing, nothing,
3: like all nothing, nothing, crowd, right? none of that stuff. We, well, we
0: yeah. still barely have any of that, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so then the answer to my question is like it really showed strong product market fit. I mean, you don't just accidentally well, David, have four hundred and fifty thousand monthly active users <laughs> like that's a
1: very strong sign of product market fit
2: you're well, making to have money retention like, right
0: like that amazing pushing. retention yeah
1: yeah, yeah like, like let me put it this way we were using heap uh, like heap analytics at the time and i was friends with the founder so he gave me this like entry he gave me the enterprise plan but at their introduction tier price which was really nice of him except by the end of 2016 he was like dude it's costing me like twelve thousand dollars just to process your data. Like, we need to start. Like, <laughs> we need like, to stop your volume. <laughs> I was like, that's literally a quarter of my business. If I pay you that, <laughs> and, uh, so like, nothing about darker made any sense. And the thing for you to realize that um, kind of influenced our thinking was we came from Instagram and Facebook, and so our points of reference were completely skewed to what we thought was like successful or relevant, and so. Like we, I felt like Darkroom was going nowhere and like nobody was using it. When now in hindsight, I was like, "Oh, like Like you said, like there's a strong signal that there's something worth pursuing here." Uh, but in any case, Jasper uh, had the insight, uh, and I credit Jasper for like reviving Darkroom as a company. He's like, "Listen, let's spend a year. Let's do like the basic things people who run businesses do, which is measure <laughs> your measure your what's your funnel, measure the funnel, try to figure out where people drop off, release a few experiments." We haven't released a bug fix in like a year and a half, like fix all the top bugs. And let's add a new feature. Let's add a top feature. Let's just do the bare minimum, you know, and just see what happens in a year. And so... You know, we went year over year. We went from like sixty thousand, seventy thousand to one hundred and twenty. I was like, "Oh, cool! Like, I can pay kind of pay myself now." And that, which I know, it's a lot of money, but I lived in San Francisco at the peak of the bubble.
0: And you had a job at Facebook before then, so your frame of reference on income <laughs> is a little. Yes, <laughs> this is a huge thing for indie developers, and I think a part part of why like a lot of indie apps just don't ever make sense or get built is like if you can go make two hundred plus at Facebook, like. 120, it, it really is not comparable to, like, a lot of Indies are, like, sacrificing to keep the app going. Well, Indie is still an investment. I don't think yeah. we as an industry actually
3: appreciate that. Maj made an investment. I made an investment, not by putting right. cash in the company, but just, like, living literally off our own savings. That's There's still a free investment. Yeah. investment. It's, yep. it's not actually sweat. It's actual cash we put in. That we didn't get yeah. through a job,
2: right? Missed oppor- yeah. Missed opportunity or opportunity costs, sorry. Yeah. Well,
3: and especially like for Majd and me, like we were high up at Facebook. Like you get paid ridiculous amounts of money, and so especially when you compare it to that, it's a it's a sizable like missed opportunity or missed missed. I was not high up could. at Facebook,
1: dude. I was I was I was, a, I was an E five engineer on like a team nobody cared about. <laughs> you were high up at Still, Facebook. You're a director cool. of like an org. <laughs>
2: But still. Take take a win when it's handed to you, Mash. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let let, uh, truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) You got to work on
1: your reality distortion. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it was like, I
3: mean, I wasn't convinced with numbers that we like had product market fit because to March's point, like, you know, like we wanted it to be a lot more, but it felt, I mean, for me, most of the time, like anytime I founded a company, built a product, worked on a team, worked with people, it's more sort of like, does this feel good? And then in this case, it was like, I really enjoyed working with Mosh. That was like, we we had worked as a team. So there wasn't a question there. It was like, can I trust the dude? Does he understand what, what I'm talking about? Like, that was like, that was not a question at all. So that was very comfortable. Um, and, and for me, the product was also sort of like a perfect fit because of the reasons I mentioned before. But also to me, it's like, you know, I liked using the product. I saw you know, the foundational thinking that Marge and Matt put into it and that I was part of in the early days that where I was like, man, this like can be so much more, but also recognizing it would take a bunch of effort to get there. And like, yeah, we had to take the small steps to get there. And I think like, you know, if you'd asked me like before my Facebook days, when I was at Sofa, which was very sort of like, like founded on the idea of like building products from a pure craft and experience perspective and really sort of the taking the the public face of Apple and taking that for, for truth and build, modeling our company after that, like I would have never done it or I would have never made it successful because the only thing I would have obsessed about is like making every icon amazing, making every view the best and spending forever polishing a thing that, that would never actually be business successful. But in my years at Facebook, I'd also learned the opposite side of that, like being extremely analytical, being very process-driven, like be organizing yourself, like instrumenting things so that you knew actually what a funnel would like. And so for for us, it was really like taking those two worlds. Like, Majd had worked at Apple, I'd worked at Sofa, we'd both worked at Facebook. For us, it was really like bringing those two worlds together and really like, you know, doing the grunt work. And so for a year, we did that. And it was it was quite interesting because I remember Majd saying, like, dude, this is not going anywhere. This is not going to be like, it's, it's not possible for this to make a hundred grand a year. And then we made a hundred grand a year. And he's like, this can't make two and a half grand, 250,000 a year. And then it did. And then like last year we crossed another huge milestone and like it blew our minds that it was possible to get there. But it's taking that step for step thing. It's also like just chopping up the problem in a small pieces and taking one step every
1: day. And then the, the hardest part too, is having the conviction that the path is worth going on and will lead us to a place and at yeah. scale that is worth yeah. spending the energy to get there. And the second part of that is saying no to every opportunity along the way to just like go <laughs> chase the yes. money. There were so many opportunities for us to like turn Darkroom into like a story template app and make heaps more money by optimizing it for SMBs and like increasing our average sale price and like starting a pit. Like we knew this in 2017, 2018. I can't remember exactly what year it was that the stories came out, but like we saw this opportunity, but like to pursue that meant to not pursue explicitly this vision that we had for mobile photography that to me is a much longer term opportunity. And so we're not chasing no. peaks, we're chasing high baselines over a long period of time.
2: There has to be something about your company or your brand that you're doing that's beyond the app you're working on, right? And if your mission is to, you know, make professionalized iPhone photography, then yeah, building a store. I mean, maybe there's a maybe there's an angle where a stories tool build yeah. fits into that. Maybe, but if it's not, it's not, and you can't, you can't. You know, the foundation you, is, needs to be there. Yeah, but if it's not there, you just you don't feel bad about not doing it, even if it means. Because I think it's 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 that long arc. So when did you guys when did you guys make the switch? To, time to talk about subscriptions. When did you guys <laughs> the, when did you guys make the the switch and throw away your old uh, business model and and convert? And I want to step back just a, a little bit
0: before that because I I've, we're kind of on this like story arc. So. Uh, so before you decided to switch to subscriptions, y'all talked about like starting to do the business things that like made yeah. sense to build a business. And then that eventually led to start switching to subscriptions. So so before you answer Jacob's question, take us through like, what, what were the like business things you started implementing, even when you still just had in-app purchases that started sure. to get that ball rolling financially in the direction? And then we can jump to the subscription transfer.
1: There are three components to that. The first was uh, building features that people wanted. And so we w- our app just didn't have a lot of features that people thought it should have. And so in many ways, that's still the case today and we're working on that, but like it was really the case in 2016. And so we invested in raw support, depth editing support. Um, we added the selective adjustment, to frame tool. Like so we added a lot of tools that are core to Darkroom's use case now, but that didn't exist before. And so listening to our users and like trying to prioritize what they're asking for and incorporating that into our roadmap was the first big thing that we did. So that's just from like a feature product perspective. Now, from a monetization flow perspective, there were two big things that we did. The first was uh, one of the common pieces of feedback that we would hear from people is I didn't know that like you had this thing for me to buy. Like I just (laughs) literally, I literally didn't know I could spend money on Darkroom. And we had, we had tried really, really hard to make Darkroom like a smooth experience for our free tier. And so like, what I try to say is we removed from so much friction, people started slipping. And so like, we <laughs> like, what we one of the things that we tried to do is like, we added an upsell. Like we, we also ran some analytics and we saw that most people make a purchase in the first session. So we're like, okay, if you don't see an upsell in your first session, like you don't even know the full power of what we're offering for you. So like, we're not, like, we're not being pushy. We're just giving you the full information to help you make an informed decision. And so like, I think we, at, at the time we at the time we were switching away from our mentality of like, oh, like we need to be nice people. And like if you ask people to give you money, you're being like a a, a greedy capitalist, which like <laughs> we, we we had to find a nuance for ourselves between the two. Yeah,
3: no. I think that, that like the nuance, finding the nuance was really there. There's lots of lit because like I think like the, the 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 thing to remember for us is like as we said before we tried a lot of different things there wasn't like one thing we did and then the revenue doubled no it was like we tried 15 things and then and all of those cumulatively led to revenue doubling right and so it was like making sure we mentioned that like things were for purchase in the first but like here's another one like we had feedback of like um so so i know there's things i can buy in darkroom where's the button (laughs) yeah yeah, so even past the screen, some people would say, yeah. "Not now." They peruse in yeah. the app, and then they couldn't find, and so it's like, "Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Duh. okay." Yeah. So we, <laughs> it was a lot of those kinds of things,
1: uh, and those are just two examples. The third, the third part of that is like what we sold and how much we sold it for also changed, and so we ended up consolidating all the filter packs and all the tools into a single in-app purchase that. Uh, you know, when we first consolidated, it, it was six dollars, and then we made it eight dollars, and then we made it ten dollars. And as we kept raising the price, the only thing that changed was our revenue increased. And so, that was a big lesson for us. And and it's funny with monetization lessons. Every time you learn a lesson, you're like, man, I wish I knew this lesson three years yeah, ago. Like the, you think about
2: all the compounding lost revenue, right? That yeah for it all. <laughs> Man, it's, it's crazy.
1: And so eventually a lot of our friends were switching subscriptions and the subscription thing was well on its way. And we were so caught up with like big infrastructure, technical projects. And by the way, at this point, it was just me and Jasper. And so when we switched to subscription, we became three people and now we're five people. So we're still, this is like a really, really small company. So when I would take on this really big six month long infrastructure project, I would have blinders on and I would be like in a hole. Meanwhile, the world is changing around me and everyone is making millions on subscriptions. And so once I came out of my hole and started talking to people again, it's was like, oh, subscriptions like, are a thing. People are willing to pay for... And we had, we, we had a bunch of our close friends switch their apps over to subscription and they saw big revenue increases. And we're like, okay... What we're doing is really not working out for us because at this point it, we switched the subscription one year ago, almost exactly. So we're starting to see our annual re- our recurring revenue come in, which is uh, brightening up my day.
2: And- <laughs> <laughs> it's a big that first year. That first year of renewal really is a big step, and I, I imagine y'all's retention rate is is on the top Pretty end good, of the I industry.
0: Think. Yeah.
1: We don't know. We don't. Honestly, I don't know. It's something I want to talk to you guys about. I want you to write that blog post.
2: Imagine I have a nice thread going about the the charts and their limitations. <laughs> 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 Good feedback, <laughs> but
1: but uh, but our, our our one of the big realizations for us going to subscription was uh, at this point, 2020, we had been around for five years, and there were people who paid us four dollars five years ago, who are still getting everything we've worked on since then for free, and we'll continue to get everything for free because we grandfather people in. Uh, we gave people the option to subscribe uh, to support us, but you know, like those who don't are getting an insane amount of value for $4 a long time ago. And that's just not The thing that we also realized is we're so incentivized to constantly pump out updates that will get new people in because that's the only way we make money from like new people entering the ecosystem. And like the incentive structure there was making us uncomfortable.
2: Oh, you're talking about, and the when it was a single in-app purchase, right? Like all of your revenue is right yep. up front, right? So you're, you're, all top of funnel focus. We don't think about our users in in this way, but like the incentive structure doesn't doesn't matter
1: if you want to, right? It's
2: (laughs) incentives. really. Once once someone
1: gave us the money, once someone came in the door and made the decision to give us money or not, we could like, the answer, they could. We don't care about them anymore. Like they've already made that snap decision, and so we can Regardless move on to the next.
2: Regardless of person. either path they took in a. Regardless
1: teams, of either right? path, because that path yeah. is not going to change much past the first session, and so that's like a really stark way. That's not how we. That's not our relationship to our customers, but like that was the incentive structure of a pay, like one ten dollar in app purchase where you only buy it on the first session mostly.
0: And this is what I think a lot of people miss
1: about how well the subscription model aligns
0: consumer value with the developers actually getting paid. It
3: also really depends on like what kind of software business you're running, right? Like there are lots of apps and games out there that like their V1.5 is it. That's the end of the line. Right. And and for those kinds of businesses and products, a single in-app purchase is totally fine. Like the argument isn't whether that's good or bad. It like really depends on like what kind of company and business you build. And, you know, our ambition was like, whew, Like, photo editing is awesome, but, like, man, there's a lot to improve over there. And, like, man, like, it's not just, like, adding a bunch of tools, but it's also, like, really, like, re-innovating and rethinking those tools over time and, like, re-adapting to what comes out this year or Mm -hmm. next year. And so, like, our entire business model is completely or, like, is screwed when you think about Mm -hmm. single-in-a-purchases because, like, that does not work. Because to Marge's point, like, we are providing... Tens, if not hundreds, of dollars of worth for people who paid five bucks or ten bucks
2: once. Not to mention they can email you for help at any time, right? Like probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. And expect it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yep. it, it was a quite of an interesting switch to go to subscriptions and to to what Marge said, like we took it very delicately and we actually like first kind of tested it out by fully pushing towards a single purchase. So we're able to effectively knew what the Mm. conversion was going to be. And even in the product side, a lot of the heavy lifting on sort of like the UI and the flows were already in place.
2: You had to bring all that back in, right? You had all these like- Well, yeah, because like, so, so we
3: basically took the problem and sliced it up into bits. And so the first one was just simplifying, like going from a shopping basket of like five or six things that you could buy to one thing and validating that that could work. And that worked. And then increasing the price.
1: Hey, that works. And I was like, <laughs> okay, now let's sm- switch over to subscription. It's like, Oh wait, that works too. Okay, great. And and I think, I think we did a good job of transitioning to subscription because like we were mortified of switching to subscription because we were seeing like revolts and mutinies all across uh, the app store. And we didn't, we people celebrated our transition to uh, subscription. It was pretty, it's pretty nice. So how did you manage that? Like the grandfathering, the messaging, like tell me about like how, how you managed to get that kind of response. The, we, uh, it was mainly predicated on the inside that we, that I just mentioned. We only make money from new people downloading the app and deciding to spend $10 or not. Like, so we already are not making money retroactively on people who previously had downloaded the app. And if we switch subscription, and we have a higher average sale price, and we maintain semblance, some semblance of conversion. After the first year, when the revenue starts compounding, we'll be way ahead of where we are now, even if we make zero dollars from anyone who's previously given us money. And so we basically wrote off like any kind yeah. of maintenance costs for people who previous that was that was the big big thing. So- and also the way we did it was, I think people felt guilty about how little we charged and how much value they were getting out of Darkroom. So we added uh, we added like this uh, sheet that shows up if you've previously subscri- uh, purchased anything in Darkroom. This is, hey, like even if you bought a filter pack five years ago, we'll give you everything for free. We'll grandfather you into the subscription. But we give you the option to support us. And like I'll, a fair number of people opt into that, uh, mainly because like they understand oh, there's like a small team. And, and I think one thing, there's time is like a really important component of this. Like we're not a new app. We're a six-year-old app at this point. And so people know that we're committed to this. You have a
2: track record at this stage, right? We have,
1: yeah, yeah. We, we've taken no funding. So people know we're not chasing an exit. People know we're going to be around for a long time. And we've demonstrated that like tenacity to survive. And so I think people are more like willing to saying, oh, okay, yeah, like if I subscribe to this, they're not going to just go like sell it to the next person who offers them like X dollars.
3: Yeah, in, in communication of our switch to subscriptions, that was a very big piece of it. It's like, guys, we're not here to screw around. We're not that one app that is going to provide one more update and then we're out of here and then we're going to cash in for the next 10 years on your subscription, right? It was very clearly like, to say, like, no, that's not who we are. Like, we're actually going to update the app as we
1: have frequently in the past six years. Yeah. Right. And also we, we, we added a forever option to allow you to unlock everything forever. And we right. priced it at two and a half ye- worth, years worth of the annual subscription. We don't, I don't think we're going to have that option available for a long time, but it provides yeah. like a big cash flow up front for us. And that cash flow is what allowed us to double the size of our company last year, hire people. Yeah. which who, And those people will allow us to
2: build the features that will make our company worth more it's beautiful. You have the flywheel now, right? Like you have the flywheel. You had something with product market fit. Like it always starts with something useful. Then you build the business. And then, then when you get this flywheel, now you guys have something that you can build on, that you can sustain, that you can then maybe the stories, I mean, as a stupid example, but maybe that opportunity is available to you later. Like, and you can continue. I mean, it depends on your, it depends on your goals. You guys talk a lot about this like independence, right? And this like concept of an indie developer. Mm -hmm. I think you brought up is, is, uh, A little, maybe a little bit more broad than like the single person working out of a cafe. I mean, obviously, kind of how it started in this story, right? But, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm curious, like, what is your, you know, what is your motivation to keep it that way? And like, uh, what, what, so what's your vision for how you, yeah, how you continue to grow this thing in that, in that, in that, you know, with that ethos, I guess.
1: So, uh, when in 2014, when I was thinking about starting Darkroom, I, uh, my, Uh, conclusion was the opportunity I'm pursuing is not VC scale. Like if Darkroom is really, really successful, it still would fail as a VC company. And I would have to like sell it to get return to the investors. And I think, uh, that's because I had been immersed in the Silicon Valley world long enough to understand the mechanics of how VC backed companies work. And I, you know, like half my friends are (laughs) VCs. So like, I have nothing against like the VC model. Um, but it does ha- come with a ticking time bomb that like if you don't grow enough to be able to raise the next round or IPO, then like what's happening, either you buy out the investors or you, you exit or somehow or you get You bought acquired. out. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, and so I was like, man, like, this is awesome. I really want to work on this, but even if darkroom is making hypothetical, and this, I was thinking about this in 2014. Right. So like if, even if darkroom is making like $10 million a year, if we keep the team small, that's like an incredible business. That's that's, that's retirement, right? Yeah. Like that's what, that's what you want to work towards. But a VC would look at that and like throw it in the trash bin. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, that's insane. Like, should I not work on this opportunity that I see in the market, (laughs) in the field that I enjoy working on with people I enjoy working on it just because a VC's incentives don't align with it? Like, no, that's crazy. Like I'll, I'll go pursue this. And, and at the time I had enough savings to actually pursue it and self-fund it, which that's not an option available to, to many people. But we were never anti VC in terms of that. It was very much like a like an intellectual decision. It was like a calculated yeah. decision, and also uh, our ambition was never to be a side project or a small company. Our ambition had always been to be a highly profitable business, and we it just took three years longer to get there <laughs> and yeah. than I thought it us. would. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's incredible self awareness, and just aware. I, I think that a lot of the folks that have super bad. I mean, obviously like you swing and you miss sometimes. Right. And then that's that's totally. going to happen. But I think a lot of folks do go into it, not understanding that fundamental thing about and, 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 and some VCs are, you know, you've got smart VC friends that think you're smart and they would love to put money on whatever you're doing. And <laughs> then, and and just hope it works out. We had, we had a cat, we had a term sheet. I'm sure we've been there. I mean,
3: I mean, the investors, the, the, the and A's, like, they've all come past, right? Um, and uh, like, I mean, this is not my first time of 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 being a co founder of a, of an of an indie company. Like, Sofa was that too, and it was pretty successful, but not to the standards of like our industry as a whole. Like, our industry is rife with the hundred million dollar valuation, the hundred <laughs> billion, the billion. Like, and that's what it, what also really resonated in all the conversations I've had with Marsh over the years. Is like, it's kind of a screwed up like standard. I'm not saying it's bad, but it is kind of screwed up. Like it forces a way of thinking, a way of living, a way that you build your like work-life balance, your ambitions that is not for everybody.
2: And not to mention the unserved darkroom users, right? Like there's that, yeah.
3: (laughs) And, and, you know, for us, it's also like, you know, like, like Mosh said, like, even just having a five million or ten million dollar a year revenue rate company, if the team is small enough, that's crazy. That's great. That can
1: be yeah. an amazing life for ten people or twenty people. You can fund. You can fund any subsequent project. Yeah. You can pay people yeah. above market rate. You can create that good life for everyone who works at the company. Like you, the world is your oyster once you get there, yeah. and you have independence. The thing is, I I could stop working on Darkroom. And then use it to fund the next thing and then like keep going, you know? Like that's that's and that, that is actually my plan. Like I tell people I plan to retire working for like the same S corporation in like <laughs> 60 years or whenever I retire. I don't know. Hopefully I live that long. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: So we've talked about this goal of, you know, getting to five or 10 million. And um, how are you currently strategizing moving that direction? Cause like we, we had even talked a little bit before this about, um, that you still feel like you're a little under-optimized, even though a lot of your traffic is coming from um, browse. And uh, have y'all even done much experiments with ads yet? So I'd love to Which hear... We zero like, dollars
1: on ads, yeah. There yeah. you
0: go. So you're putting yeah. I mean, these... Like- Somewhat low incentive users yeah. from all the features and stuff, but then you're getting a lot of search traffic. Word of mouth, huge. You've talked about like, you know, people that, are-
2: that was an un- uncalculated line item for your f- users who you're not getting a lot of money from. Like, they're, they're believers, right? And I'm sure they're getting... Totally. Still yeah, like- yeah.
0: So yeah, what's next? How are you going to optimize for the to hit five? Because I I think it's, I mean, with the kind of product market fit you have, you hit the year mark to start compounding subscriptions. I mean, you guys are are not a VC rock, but like for like, (laughs) I'm going to send you a term. (laughs) (laughs) Can I invest?
3: (laughs) Well, a couple couple of things I can say on that. It's like you know. For the first couple of years, it was really about just features for iPhone, right? And we just finished back in November, like our second big sort of growth area, which was other platforms, other devices, right? So in the past couple of years, we've added iPad as a platform, and we just added uh, Mac as a platform. Now, these all each drive revenue, like iPad increased our revenue with 20%. Um, I think like uh, Mac increased our revenue with 15%. You know, all these things compound over the years. So that's that's altogether like a nice bump in revenue um, that we added by adding these platforms. Um, features, obviously, right? Um, but then like th- like in the last year, the big thing also was subscriptions, right? So those are all sort of like the business rocket ships we're talking about. Beyond that, like it's going to have to be a lot of what you're talking about. Ads, app store optimization, um, like those are going to be the types of things that we're going to want to play with, um, and we're doing mostly like preparing for that, uh, both uh, on the infrastructure and the tool side, uh, but also doing the homework and the thinking on like how we're going to operationalize all of that.
2: How do you divide your time? Like, because uh, I imagine, I mean, those things are. Those things well, that's, are what I'm, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Because, because, like, I mean, I think you guys are product people, right? Like, that's in, in delivering value. And like, how do you think? I mean, those things are important for the, you know, long term revenue goals. But like, I mean, your existing you users probably won't care that much. I think for me, there's like
1: business fundamentals that will like double, triple, quadruple our business, and then like all the other optimizations and measuring and ads you're talking about, like. It, relative to those big things, are going to be marginal differences that just like optimize what already exists, but it doesn't like increase the scope of what we're getting as a fundamental baseline as a business and from a value proposition perspective. And what I mean by that is, as what Jasper said, is we've been on this platform expansion strategy for the past couple of years where we've gone from iPhone to, to iPad to the Mac. And what, what hasn't shifted much in the past few years is who Darkroom is for. So, Darkroom has been for the same people serving the same purpose. And we we accomplished that on the iPhone, but everyone who used uh, uh, who did mobile photography on the iPad did not have Darkroom and had all the same problems that we were trying to solve on the iPhone. So the delta of uh, user benefit we were able to deliver just by existing on the iPad was much bigger than like the benefit marginal benefit to adding another feature on the iPhone. So we're always trying to maximize like the user benefit for unit of work, and then same thing on the Mac like. Before Darkroom came out, the only app that you really could access your iPhone photo library, which is, by the way, the most important photo library for most people, was just in the Photos app. And you could only do what Apple decides once a year you could do in the Photos app, which is optimized, which is like halfway optimized between sharing and consumption. And their, their, their editing interface is not primary. And so what we're trying to do is take... Take your iPhone photo library, again, the most important critical photo library for most people, and then on their Macs, give them high power tools to edit it and manage it. And so that's why we went for a platform first approach in the past couple of years. What we're doing from this point forward is... um, deepening and uh, slightly changing who Darkroom is optimized for to try to hit more of like the power user, the more traditional power user, the more traditional high-end user. And so to to, uh, to me, those are the people who are going to be YouTube influencers who are going to be doing like YouTube videos and they promoting Darkroom. And then anyone who comes into Darkroom's world will see six years worth of development and iteration and product depth that will like, it's beautiful, it's fast, it's efficient and all that. Uh, and so... To serve that high-end market, we still have some missing features that we need to build. And that's what we're working on. The second part of that is once you use Darkroom, nobody else knows you're using Darkroom. And so that's yeah. one of the big problems with Darkroom, which is like it's a bit of an insular world. And so we're working on a lot of ways for Darkroom to become more of a platform for people who are really deep into mobile photography. And I'm not talking here about social networks. I'm not talking here about publishing. But those are some of our like unreleased and This uh, that super we're,
2: secret feature we're working on called a feed. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> Going to change the um. <laughs> world.
1: <laughs> Make the world a better place. And uh, so, so we're working, we're working on like taking Darkroom. So, like when you use Darkroom, you can tell the world that you use Darkroom, and and they can bring that into their own experience. Uh, so that that will really help just create a bit of a viral dynamic where people who are popular who use Darkroom will. Yeah, be able to evangelize it for gonna us. It's going
2: to be your lowest, lowest cost acquisition, most likely is going to be through. Yeah, through, exactly. Through right,
3: because like that's like like acquisition is actually like a complicated topic when it comes to darkroom, really, because like. Apple has done most of it for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they know, and we really appreciate it. Um, but it is, strategically speaking, like an area where we need to diversify, right? So ads is one, but like, I mean, what Ma was just talking about YouTube is like a very important second, content, or, like that. we just have to diversify. It's like, we can't be solely reliant on the app store doing everything organic for us.
2: No, not outside of the first couple of years, right? Like, and, and they will eventually wane, right? They will eventually get bored and-, and Probably, and not, not, yep. yeah. Yeah, even the best apps, right? What I really like is that as soon as I brought that growth up and even like
0: broached the topic, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do ads, but that's not a focus because it, it seems like the worst thing y'all could do for Darkroom at this stage of showing so much product market fit, of getting word of mouth, Is to go give Facebook a dollar of every dollar 10 you bring in. Like that's what so many apps are doing. It's like, you know, they create a money printing machine where, you know, they're they're making a dollar 20 and paying Facebook a dollar, but like you don't need to do that. And like, so far, every user that you have to pay the dollar and you're only making that 20 cents or whatever, like there's so many higher leverage
2: ways. and And it's exactly what you're talking about, Mash. And ways that are ways that compound, like content compounds. Um, virality even compounds, especially viral viral features.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna imagine that we're not gonna like try to do that and see how it works for us. The but to, to Jacob's point around time, like we are very small. We have, you know, Jesper and I both have families now and we're distributed, and we're we only have four engineers other than me, three engineers. And so our time is really limited. The scope of work that we're doing technically is really large. Like the amount of iteration that we do is really high. And so we just don't have the time like ads right now would be a distraction from pursuing that 4X growth. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think ads are going to be the way we get there. Like maybe ads will like be be a part of 4X growth once we get there again, but we don't have the data infrastructure to measure things right now. That's one of the things we're investing in. We don't have like the analytics infrastructure. We don't have like, we, we don't have the knowledge base, like the knowledge foundation. We have to like learn how to do all this stuff. All this stuff comes now at the cost of building product, which is not a trade off we're willing to make today.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. And and it's also like so far it doesn't feel or seem like we have to. Right. If if like the well dried up completely, sure, right? Then we like we wouldn't have this argument. Uh, but so far organic growth of darkroom has been
2: tremendously stable.
3: And the and the and it sometimes it dips and then we're both terrified. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just, just,
2: just zoom out, right? That's I always
0: say, like zoom out. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, and the key there is that when you when you have your retention in place, when you have good word of mouth, when you have all those other things dialed in, and you have content and kind of brand feeding from influencers, when you have all of that in place, the dollar that you do put into ads just goes so much further. You're not you're not yeah. just optimizing around that single little metric. And paying so much of your revenue out to Google and Facebook, so yeah, I think you're absolutely on the right track.
1: I tell Jasper all the time like we work on our funnel like from the back to the front, like like we like I just do I cannot open. I cannot get myself to like spend energy on opening the top of the funnel when it's such a leaky funnel. like it just <laughs> makes no sense, yeah, yeah,
3: no, so we 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 do care. We do try things now and then we do learn we do educate we do prepare for that world right we appreciate it, we understand it we, we 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 see its value but it but it is also very much about timing it's also very much about who do you want to get into the product in the funnel and why and when and ads are great but like you can also get a boatload of customers you don't really want or need yep um and so as long as we can stay picky that's that's pretty
1: good By the way, like, if you guys want to challenge us on the strategy, we're all ears.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, I think, I think once you, well, one, I think like always be eager and looking for the most, the easiest path forward, right. And the best path that's most likely to match your, what you care about and what you're going to like, you know, I, I think that's important. And that's even beyond like, you know, if you're an indie business or what your growth targets are or whatever, I think there's some real truth to that, to like. You got. You're the one who's got to wake up every day and do this thing. So do what you want, right? And if that means if that means being product focused a little bit longer, and maybe yeah, it, just in a year and a half, you might go like, oh, we could have just flipped this switch. But okay, well, whatever. Like that's just the way it is, and it's a journey. It's not like uh, it's not like there's not only one path forward, right? Jessica and I just like, we're not in a rush, you know? Like we're going to be doing this for another 10 years. And that's just the thing with the the whole, I mean, here I go, subscriptions guy. But like, (laughs) that's the thing that this whole model like unlocks because now you have this in place. You're going to keep building value for these people. You're going to be allowed as artists to, to think, you know, think on behalf of this is a contract they've entered with you to be like, hey, like I really care about photography. You guys are really knowledgeable about this. Build me the best tool and I'll continue to patronize you. And like, that's just, It's beautiful. And I'm really excited. I don't know, just what Darkroom becomes. I was just thinking like Darkroom takes on Lightroom and how sort of poetic that is on the the desktop. So you you can keep that one for your marketing campaigns later. Later
1: down the road. (laughs) I think uh, you, you said something I want to take on our tagline. We're going to professionalize mobile photography. I'm like, man, how do you, how do you distill it into three words? How do I Don not <laughs> <for that laughs> do, do you know how much time I've spent thinking about what our tagline should be? <laughs> you just drop that casually in you know the
2: conversation. <laughs> you can have it for free, but just thank me later. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, just gratitude. I, th-
1: I, thank you, I thank you every month, Jacob.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs>
1: Dark rooms
0: growth is our growth. <laughs> hey, <you know> <laughs> there we go. Incentives are a hell of a thing. <laughs> well, hey, this is a heck of a place to wrap up. So it was such a fun conversation. Like this was amazing. So thank you guys for your time, and you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And, and as always, we didn't even get through half of uh, the talking points, but it was uh, uh, such a fun conversation. Y'all are a wealth of knowledge, so uh, I hope y'all do more of this kind of stuff as well. Because I, I would just, you know, I mean, for 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 us at Revenue Cat, thinking about our customers, for me, like as somebody who's just been passionate for for 13 years now about the App Store and like what apps can do to help people and improve people's lives and stuff— It's so great to talk through a story like this. And Jacob, I mean, Jacob just did the same thing. So I'm just uh, going gushing again as well. But it's just so great to like have a conversation about like product and like making things better and not just, you know.
2: Using the power of computers.
0: Using the power
3: of computers. (laughs) And what was it? And Silicon. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I I, 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 I I love this conversation. Yeah, you guys are. He was was being so poetic. We just like, he was getting to the, (laughs) like the climax of his poetic (laughs) print.
2: All I was going to add is that like, there's a couple of customer profiles that we think about. And like Darkroom is one of the, you, you guys really define one of like my favorites. And I think one of the best for us and like just, yeah, watching your journey and stuff is super exciting. We can cut all this gushing, David, if you feel like it's. Uh...
3: <laughs> it's great to hear, anyway. Yeah, no, my great. ego needs this. It's my great. ego needs this. We have...
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. It was it was a pleasure. I we love we love what you guys are doing at Revenue Cat too. So we can we can gush back at you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another another podcast. All right, bye, guys.
0: To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player thanks so much for listening. Until next time.